Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Real Mission Impossible show with Coach MJ. Are you ready? We search the globe for the most amazing people who have overcome incredible obstacles, demonstrated amazing resilience, and done the impossible. I said, are you ready? May the real life heroes of Mission Impossible from around the world be inspired, be motivated. Join, Join the, the real, real Coach, Coach MJ. MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Hi, this is Coach MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Tonight, we have a guest which has been brought to our attention. She's doing grief counseling around the country for people who've lost loved ones, especially children. And in today's climate, seeing how there are so many incidents, more and more these happening, we've asked her to come on the show. First of all, talk about what she does and why she got into it. And then of course, what her perspective on the take on it is today. Uh, Dr. Barbara Hopkinson, we're bringing her on today. Dr. Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, MJ. Pleasure to be here. Our listeners uh, don't really know uh, what you do. Could you just kind of narrate, give them the real skinny, the elevator pitch, if you will, on on what you're actually doing? Sure. Yeah, my, my background is corporate world and IBM and all that. But in the course of my career, I lost uh, three children, a 21-year-old, son and two babies, a uh, Brent, Robbie, and a, and a miscarriage. And so that spurred me to start two nonprofits. And then later on, I also lost my second husband, um, Jim. So this is, yeah, I do this work in their memory. Uh, and I started a support group oh, 19 years ago uh, to support families that have lost a child, grandchild, or sibling. And that's for people who can drive to me uh, you know, in the north of Boston area. Uh, locally. But then a few years later, I think about 10 years ago, I started a second nonprofit called A A Butterfly's Journey, which is national and has some international components and broader helps in broader in grief. And as part of that, um, we have three main areas is a free online resource center. And uh, I have an advanced certification in grief recovery method, which is the only methodology that is evidence-based for grief in the world. It's been used um, 40 years on six continents. And then uh, I also do these faces of resilience photo shoots at grief-related events, which might be, uh, you know, some of the, like the national organizations like the Compassionate Friends or Brief Parents of the USA or Association for Death and Education Consulting. And we'll go and we'll set up a backdrop and lights and take professional photos and allow people to express themselves about their grief. It's all about open expression. So it's very cathartic for them to do it. I write their messages on their skin with washable magic marker. And then we take photos of them and we professionally edit them and send it to them. So then it's a catalyst for them to talk about their grief, which is really very, very healing. So I've done that all over the country uh, and in London, Canada, the Caribbean, and, and I have 10 languages so far and trying to take it even more international. Well, I certainly take my hat and salute you for that. Of course, you're talking about a topic that very many of us are just not educated or armed to be able to deal with. In fact, all of us probably at some time or another have lost someone close to us, maybe even a close loved one, um, and don't really know what to say to other people who've gone through this. And in fact, I remember walking into a room when some I know that somebody lost someone recently and I really didn't know what to say and you know the last thing you want to say is hey how's it going or how are you yeah um what, what do you recommend 
Yeah, I know it's tough. And, and honestly, it happens to people all over it, especially families that have lost a child, because I think for two reasons, people don't know what to say to them. They don't want to bring it up thinking it'll be painful. But when you've when you've had a traumatic loss like that, it's right here for quite a while, right in your face. So uh, they're not going to bring anything. You're not going to bring anything up that isn't already there. Uh, and um, I think also people don't approach people because they can't think about it in the context of their own lives. It's too scary. So for both of those things, but basically what people want you to do is just say, I'm sorry, maybe mention their, their child or their, any loved one's name and, you know, even talk about them a little bit and then just listen, don't run. That's really all they need. They just need to be able to vent. They need to be able to talk. The more they talk, the more they heal. Um, and, and really just, just say, gee, I'm really sorry for your loss. You know, you might ask them if you can help them with something, especially if it's a if it's a very recent loss and, you know, really don't ask, wait for them to call and ask you because they're like, you know, they're in shock. You know, some yes. people just, just go do something for them. If you're local, you know, go mow their lawn or buy them some groceries or, or clean their house or, you know, anything that, that could be helpful like that. That's just practical because they're having trouble getting out of bed in the morning, you know, yes. dysfunctioning. I, I mean, it's, it's just, again, it's incredibly hard to imagine how those parents, you know, who, who have, you know, that day found out that their children are long, no longer with us. Uh, and we won't go into detail on this show, but my God, what a horrible thing to wake up in the morning and realize that your little one is not going to be in your arms that day. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter how old or how long, or even there's, there's certainly more layers with some kinds of loss, like suicide and overdose and things like that with guilt and regret and everything. But basically, that kind of loss, it feels it felt like I felt gutted like a fish, like you were just all of a sudden really empty. And then it's it's not only hard to function, but typically your family members grieve very differently than you do. And my 30 year marriage fell apart also after a year after our older son died. Um, you know, it just, it has a traumatic effect. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I don't want to sound so hopeless because I am happy and functional and, you know, it's been quite a while and I've worked hard. It doesn't take, it takes effort and it takes time, but you can get there. You can be happy again. And that's what your loved ones want for you and what your you know kids want for you is to heal and, and be happy again, you know, but it, it, it doesn't happen by itself. I guess not. You mentioned uh, different support groups that are out there that, of course, your foundation and you're connected with someone else in Texas. Is that right? Um, God, there's a lot of. All right. So so I'm uh, I have a local chapter. My local support group is a chapter of the Compassionate Friends in northeastern Massachusetts. OK. And there are probably five or six hundred chapters of TCF all over the country. They and they're actually in 30 countries. Uh, they were founded in the UK, I think, in the 50s. And so they're, um, it, it's peer groups. So everybody that's involved, it, it's, it's around the loss of a child, grandchild, or sibling. That's, a, that's the largest, TCF USA is the largest grief organization in the world. Um, and they are having, uh, they're headquartered out of Illinois, but they're, they do a national conference in a different city every summer. And this summer, it's August 5th to 7th in Houston, Texas. There's the connection. And, okay. And, and it's like two days of two and a half days, but workshops, a walk to remember, sharing sessions. And these people are lovely. You know, they get it. You can go somewhere, you know, where people really understand, you know, what, what you're going through. And a lot of people commit a lot of volunteer hours to, you know, help uh, people that are more newly bereaved. It's pretty amazing. 
but yes, uh, Houston, Texas is the next one. Yes. You know, uh, Barbara, I'm trying to, Dr. Barbara, I'm trying to understand what kind of emotions uh, that you might've gone through. I'm just imagining if, if I, God forbid, have lost a child, I'm going to feel, I mean, all kinds of emotions. Certainly I'm going to feel cheated, robbed. Um, uh, so there's been an injustice done to me and my child. Um, it, it just would, would, would take my purpose of life away. There are, you just, you go through the whole spectrum. And of course, I, I know Elizabeth Kubler-Roth talked about stages, but she was really talking about end of life stages, not grief stages afterwards. And, um, and, and the grief recovery method that I've uh, trained in doesn't believe really in stages, right? Grief is unique for everyone. And it's all mixed up, right? There's no linear progression here. But yes, you feel anger, you feel um, Oh God, loss, rage, helpless, you know, uh, there's just all kinds of things and you go up and down at any given day. Like I said, it's for a while, it's really hard to even get out of bed and function. Um, and I mean, I used to do things like I'd take a, I'd take a bat, a baseball bat to like a pillow in the bed, or, or I'd be in the, I'd be in my son's, I'd be visiting my son's gravesite and I'd be screaming like at night, dark in the, in the cemetery, you know, cause it just, it's just overwhelming. Um, how it feels these losses it's and you know there's nothing you can do about it so until you can find a way especially if you believe the i believe that all of our spirits continue and i've proven that to myself in many ways and through and through signs with my son but but you know if you can find and most religions in the world believe in an afterlife so if you can sometimes at least as a parent your whole life is about protecting your child so when you can't anymore it's so devastating so if you can get comfortable with the idea that they are okay and they're essence continues in spirit then at least you can start to be okay right um and start to look at their life more as a gift not just a loss and that helped me get past some of the anger and all of that sort of thing um you know sometimes it takes working on forgiveness sometimes it takes you know focusing on gratitude you know being grateful for the time you had with them rather than focusing on the loss all this stuff doesn't happen overnight right there's no magic bullets but you know, over time, if you, you can get, you can get there, you know, so. And you mentioned, of course, that there are many religions uh, who definitely believe that there could be an afterlife, that there's, some people believe that there's the Council of Nicaea took some elements of reincarnation out of the Bible, um, that there, there's all kinds of beliefs, and of course, different countries deal with uh, grief in a different way, the Irish are are uh, famous for holding wakes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of this, but um, I, I like the idea of celebrating someone's life. And, Very healing. I and didn't then, get it until my father died, and then I understood it. Yeah. yeah. In the <laughs> Philippines, I can I can promise you, uh, having been there and lived there, that uh, you can expect bingo and karaoke. Yeah, that's amazing. But that's really pretty healthy. And it, you know, the, to kind of go into the dark. You know, and, and well, that really doesn't do you any good and it doesn't do your loved one any good. It doesn't do the people around you any good. You know, you've really got to work on taking care Maybe of because they, they, they don't want to see you suffer. Right. Is that is that the idea? Um, well, first of all, kind of like like when they talk about in airplanes, about putting your mask on yourself before the child or whatever next to you, you've got to do self-care so that you're any good to anybody else in your family 
first of all, right? To, and to keep some balance. Not only that, to keep yourself healthy. I mean, this really is a shock to your system and, and your brain. So if you don't eat and get some rest and exercise, your health is going to decline. And that's even worse for the people around you. But of course, your loved one doesn't want you to get worse and to get sick. And, it, and it, it's almost, I've, I've had people, again, if you believe in this connection in the afterlife, I've had people tell me it's like a tether on your loved ones. It's when you're really, you know, it's a really a strain and you're not kind of working to, to try to help yourself get better. It's really kind of a, it's like a big worry for them. And it's a big tether for them. That's, that's not a good thing for anybody. So is it possible then that we are simply, as sometimes I've heard Deepak Chopra say, we are simply energy and that energy transforms into another place. Well, we're, I believe that. Eternal. And when you think about it, the law of physics, I believe, says that nothing really ever goes away. It just changes form. So that would make a lot of sense that our energy would change from a physical form to an energetic form, you know, potentially back. But, you know, and again, I've, I've had signs where I know my sons are okay, especially my oldest son. You know, I had him for a lot longer. So it was a longer, bigger connection and, and I can recognize things. And I've had some really definite signs that I know he's okay and I can occasionally feel him, you know. So I, I believe absolutely that, that that happens, that they continue. And it just, it makes sense to me now that I think about it, even in the practical terms of, of physics, you know, and yeah, Deepak Chopra is a medical doctor as well as a um, holistic. Right. It started as an endocrinologist and then moved into the metaphysical. Yeah. This is really, I mean, is it, um, oh, I can't think of his name, but I mean, there's multiple people that are like uh, brain surgeons and real scientists that have had experiences um, like that. And I, oh God, Ebenezer. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to get back to you with some of those resources. But anyway, this is really, really interesting. There's some resources in the back of my first book. So my first book is called A Butterfly's Journey, the same as my nonprofit. And in the back of that is a list of books, including some regular things, organizational things, and some energetic or, you know, whatever, spiritual type things. Uh, and there's some, some good uh, references in there for people that have written some really amazing books that helped me kind of get through it and, and some of those are listed in there but yeah we'll make sure we drop those links in for our listeners and viewers uh through the editing process i want to ask you a different question now as we segue okay. what do you think what do you think it really means this when when the child is ripped away from the family from an energetic point of view from a karmic point of view uh from a in the now point of view in this reality and I'm saying in this reality. What does it mean? I don't know that it means anything other could, than. Could those parents in these school uh -huh. shootings, for example, could they find some meaning in all of this? Because it just seems it's so tough. unfair and so crazy yeah, and so hideous. That's a, that's a tough one. And that's why when people say everything happens for a reason, you will have a lot of upset bereaved parents because they can't imagine any reason okay. for losing their child yes. okay and yes. and that's a, it's a really tough one it took me a long time to get to the point where not that there was a reason for my children to die but I felt like I was my purpose in life was doing this work and I could not do this work if I didn't suffer those losses 
And of course, there's, from a spiritual point of view, a lot of people believe that when we come into this life, we make an agreement to exit in a certain way for a certain reason and for us or other people around us to learn certain lessons. I can't prove that. Nobody can prove that, you know, but that's a possibility. Uh, I don't think it's ever a punishment. You know, I don't think it's anything like that. I mean, I think, and it's horrible. It's like yin and yang, right? There's all these balances, there's good and bad in the world, there's, you know, in every aspect of, of the world and everything we do. Um, it's horrible. It's hard to really hard to understand um, well, how this, how these horrible things can happen, you know, but have you dealt um, with any parents who, who have found solace in their faith? Is there? Oh, a, sure. Yeah. There? People that are, that are very into, uh, their religion, uh, very often can find help. You know, it, it just, there's so much about what you believe, right? I mean, I went off, I wasn't, I grew up religious Catholic, but I kind of got away from it. And I tried to go back into it. It didn't, that didn't work that well for me, but then I kind of found the spiritual. I didn't know spirituality. I knew nothing about it until, but, but my, my son, I was on such a mission to figure out whether his spirit continued or not, that it got me into all that and some of the energetic work. But a lot of people find a lot of solace in their religion and their ministers and priests and rabbis and, you know, whatever it is, you should just go with what you believe in and what you feel comfortable with. And, um, and then just keep, you know, just keep an open mind about things. I had never, I mean, I was, I was an IBM exec when my son died and I was in a week, a 90 hour a week job. And I went to my boss and said, look, the worst thing that could happen to me has, but that gives, that means you have no power over me anymore. I don't care about your deadlines and your quotas. I need to get changed into another health, more healthful job or I'll leave. And then I started exploring. I took the time to start exploring things that I didn't understand. And I made a choice to heal. And I made a choice to keep an open mind and to try things like energy healing. Energy healing was amazing. It helped me a lot. But I didn't know anything about it before my son died. You know, I was too busy, focused on my deadlines and quotas and work. <laughs> you know, it just makes you look at things. And I think most of the people that I deal with now that have had these losses and not just loss of children, but any any significant dramatic traumatic loss or unexpected loss, it makes things crystal clear as to what's important and what's not. And it helps you drop the negativity and the nonsense and the BS and, you know, all the, the stuff that doesn't matter. I don't spend any time on any of that anymore. And I don't hang around with anybody who's like negative and whining and complaining because it's just they're clueless. Okay, move on. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose many lessons were learned during COVID and our value systems were realigned and our priorities were reset. Uh, during that period because we were taking everything for granted in our lives weren't we yeah yeah and and we and there was so much loss so much loss and so much helplessness and then people the worst part of that was that people couldn't even be with their loved ones when they were passing away so they couldn't even get to say goodbye you know and they couldn't help them you know there was no way to defend against the illness uh and it hit so many different ages and and different with different kinds of immune problems or whatever and, and just massive it was just and then and then of course the people that were left were isolated because they couldn't gather right they couldn't gather and do things and do things in groups they were left I, i'm actually working with a, a woman now who's a widow and she was saying i mean she and her husband were so close and they they just 
uh, she found she found herself so isolated after he died because it was during COVID, and and she couldn't she she couldn't reach out or really gather and be with people, and it was just so difficult. You know, it was even hard to get together with family or anything if they did live close to you. Yes, uh, you're the author of a butterfly's journey, and through that uh, you founded a nonprofit, and that nonprofit is helping families heal. What, do, what would you say, in, in your opinion, would be one of the things that people should be doing right now if they know someone that's hurting? Again, if, it, if they're newly bereaved, kind of reach out and just tell them you're there for, to support them and maybe do some, you know, menial things around them. I had a couple of friends that, you know, came in and cleaned my house and, and I was, you know, totally incapable of doing anything functional for a while, you know. Um, my my ex-husband my first husband left his job after a month he didn't work for three years i mean it just it takes a lot out of you um so so you could basically just go and try to help them but mainly just just don't run try to be there once in a while to listen you know and to and maybe encourage stories about them but the people themselves the ones that are grieving they need to make a choice to heal and then to start to take some actions. And I'd say try two or three things. So try meditation or just deep breathing. Uh, try, um, you know, walking in nature, uh, exercise, um, journaling. I had never journaled anything, but my remaining son, who was 19 at the time and not a book kind of kid, went into a bookstore and bought me a leather-bound refillable journal, Brad did, and gave it to me six months after his brother died. And that was so unexpected for me that I said, okay, I'm going to use it. I was amazed at how cathartic it was because you can write down the good, the bad, and the ugly and let it all just pour out. Nobody ever has to see it. You can write letters to your loved ones. You can, it's just very powerful. And, and, you know, and there are times when you can just take things and write them on paper and burn them. (laughs) And that is a symbolic way of getting rid of things, throw it in a fireplace, you know, um, one of the, the powerful things about grief recovery method is it's got these tools that make you think about not just um, the myths around grief and helping you figure out if you're doing what they call short-term energy relieving behaviors like drinking, food, whatever, shopping, whatever. But the build powerful part of it is you go through a loss history graph and then you pick one person and do a relationship graph and it calls out all the undelivered communications. So it allows you to complete a relationship after the person is gone, which is very powerful because that's very often what the grief holds on to is those unfinished things, things. unfinished things. So that it's, I think that's why it's such a powerful methodology and it's totally unrelated to any religion. And it's, you know, treats, treats everybody is absolutely unique, but it just encourages you to take some responsibility for your own healing, you know, moving forward. And it's a seven week class. It's succinct. It's not endless. (laughs) You know, it's got a book and homework. Takes right. a little effort. You're you're well known for the uh, for the photos that you've done to help uh, families heal. Could you talk to our audience and try to bring that graphic into their auditory oh, experience? God. Yeah, that's my passion. I, I call them faces of resilience, and to me, it's all about open expression around grief, loss, and love. And that's one of the things we don't in our culture don't do very well. Right. So so if we go to any kind of a event, small or large, um, and it's usually me and a photographer, sometimes a helper, depending on how large it is. We just we have a black backdrop and lights and, you know, the camera we take, we 
we take professional photos of people after they've, they get, we have several examples so they can kind of spur ideas. The phrases have got to come from them because it's got to be meaningful to them, but they express things about their loss or their grief and sometimes it's just a heart and a name, but sometimes it's powerful. Like I had one mother that lost her son to an overdose and she wrote, no blame, no shame, just love, you know? And anyway, I write it on their skin with a washable marker, washes right off, but we take the photo and then edit it and send them an, uh, a, a photo that they can, you know, print and post, but it's a catalyst. It's cathartic for them to do it. And then it's a catalyst for them to talk about their grief with other people. Um, and like I said, I've done them all over the US and now in um, Canada, the uh, London and the Caribbean. And, um, and, and I've, I encourage people to use their native language. I've got eight languages, no, 10 languages just recently so far. And, um, and I just really want to do more with that. I've got one book out also called Faces of Resilience is my, my first photo book. So I just, yeah, it's, it's my passion. I just, I love it. Dr. Barbara Hopkinson, we're very lucky to have had you on the show today. Thank you for sharing part of what you do. Uh, we'll be able to drop the link so folks can get in touch with you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're just a ray of good will and light. And I'm so grateful to have met you today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful to have you, that you had me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so God much. Bless. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the mission. We welcome you to explore our next mission on Possible with Coach MJ. Welcome. Meet ordinary people who have achieved the extraordinary. Join us on the Mission Impossible show with Coach MJ. Like, comment, and share to inspire others to be possible today. <laughs>